BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel here with Joel Elkanian and Dennis Dick. On today's show, new quarter, same market, question mark. We'll talk about the fireworks at the close yesterday, some ratings from this morning, and our guest today, Angie Setzer. She is the vice president of the Grain for Citizens Elevator. She will join us at 835, break down the commodities markets. In the meantime, Joel, what's the word here overnight? Uh, we're green. We're up six and a quarter handles. 29.84.75 is your last print. Familiar area of resistance. Thursday's high, 28.95. Our current high, 94.50, that's the big level on the upside, break into the 3,000 handle once again. On the downside, your pre-market low comes in at 82 and a quarter. That's still green on the session, so I'll use that close. And that close would be at uh, 82.50 as, uh, whoo, wait, that's a way, I'm way off on my mark. My close was much lower than that. Uh, but uh, six and a quarter, 78.50 is your close. Got my numbers wrong last night. Crude up 33 cents here at 54.43. Gold trying to recover, get back over 1500, up 70 cents at 1473.60. Silver up 17.2 cents at 17.7, 17.17. A lot of 17s in there. Bitcoin up 95 dollars at 8430. Triple D, how did it go yesterday? Uh, it, it went pretty well. The show, I thought the show, yeah, we did okay. Brentster brought it. I tried to bring it. I missed you on the charts because I'm not as good with the technicals as you are, Joel. And I missed Spencer on the news because we're not as good. Well, actually, Brentster's really good at it, but he was Brent's really good. Brent's yeah, but yeah, the Brentster, but we had Chris working the working the pro. But Chris does a good job of running all the scenes. We didn't have any gremlins, so good job, Chris. So I'd say good job, Chris. Good job, Brentster. Okay job by me. Okay. All right. That's, That's what I'll say. That's how I'll give the ratings. All right. So end of quarter. Yeah. And there was some fireworks. I was busy in preferred land because there was a lot of fireworks in the preferreds. 
So, and then I went back to the stocks with about two minutes to go. And I was like, well, it doesn't seem too much going on in the stocks. And I was, and then with about 30 seconds ago, I was like, whoa, whoa, what's going on in Visa? What's happening here? And I look and there's a huge sell imbalance on Visa. So I'm like, it is just tanking in the last like five or 10 seconds. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm trying to time it. It's like indicated to close 170. So I throw out a big order to buy it at 172 because I didn't have time to get the LOC in. Um, for some reason, ready, um, I, I've got to go to a different platform to get the LOC and I didn't have time. So I'm just trying to like, if, if you know, when you're seeing a fall, an LOC is a limit on close where it's telling you to buy the close and that's it. Um, I didn't have time to get the limit on close order because for some reason, ready doesn't let you throw orders on limit on close in the last second. So I ended up uh, just trying to put a, a regular limit order. So you got to put it low enough strategically. So, you know, if you put 173 and the thing's going to close 172 on one, you're going to get run over. So I went. I, so guess where I went with my with my limit buy order? The close uh, was one seventy two oh one. Well, I, I what I always taught you, I use those whole numbers. So you went. <laughs> one You're supposed to go ahead of the whole number, though. I should have went ahead of the whole number. <laughs> I was in a hurry though to get in as fast as I could. I went one seventy two with my buy order. Stock closed one seventy two oh one. So I knew it was going to come right back. After hours, I was able to buy some at one seventy two thirty. So, and obviously it's way back up here already, but look at the, look at the candle in the last couple of minutes. I was just from a big selling bounce. So I lost two and a half bucks basically in the last 30 seconds because of the big selling balance. And then it's bounced, it's bouncing all the way back up here. It says 172.44 it's trading at, but that was an off exchange trade. It's actually bit up at 173.15 and it's been actively trading the one low 173s here. So it's going to bounce back a buck at least here this morning. You often do see these moves retrace, which is why I was trying to get on the visa fast. I had some good trades and a few preferred stocks this morning or last night off of that because there was some preferreds moving as well. But holy cow, that visa, that was a big move. They're convinced the big money made there. Um, and lost. Do, do, do they need that print? Uh, you know, do they need it to be out on the last tick? Because if they're listening to the show, whoever sold that, I mean, we could have got them a hell of a lot better price. Like during, if they knew they needed to sell during. Sometimes the you just see at the end of the quarter, the orders are so big, they don't pair off at a good price. I mean, eventually everything pairs off at a certain price. And obviously the stock had to go down there that far to find the offsetting buyers and where the designated market maker is probably comfortable taking a position on it too. So that's why they brought it down that far. That's why you, you often see the big moves. You'll see a big move in a few stocks at the end of the quarter is very big end of the month sometimes. And then on the options expiration. So, you know, we've talked about that before, but this is a big move in visa. They typically play, the typical play is to buy that move. Like if it's a sell and balance is knocking it down two points. The typical play is to actually come in and be a provider of liquidity to that by being a buyer. I was right with that. I just put my order to a, a penny too low. I, I, I often think though, if I would want 172.01, I wonder if the close would have been 172.02. Because sometimes no. we see a little bit of size and they're like, okay, we're going to put it ahead of that. So uh, we can buy it for ourselves, the designated market maker that is. So, I All mean, right. it is what it is. All right. Now, so the... I probably wasn't the only person that was marked at 172 yeah, exactly. as well because the big whole number. So I should have went higher. But I was scrambling. I threw that order in with like three, two seconds to go. So you're scrambling around trying to get the order in. All right. Help me out here because um, I'm seeing a close, uh, daily close at 78.50, right? That's where the spoos closed. But then that last print at five o'clock was up at uh, 85 even. So was it just uh, making up sort of the depressed stocks on that closing print? Because you had a very, very nice uh, rally. You know what I'm talking about, Dennis? Here? Is no. it reflected Sorry. in the spider? 
What, uh -oh. I didn't see much effect in the spider, really. I mean, the spider got hit a little bit on the last closing print, and then it did bounce back because there was a few stocks that sold okay. off right at the end. But there was a few stocks that rallied, too. So I didn't notice much action, really, in the overall market. I mean, we, we sold off about two, three points in the last minute. So it wasn't as pronounced as in a stock like Visa, where the stock lost, you know, 2% two, 2 in the last 10 seconds. So, and I don't know if there was other ones as well. Like I said, I was very busy in preferred land, talking preferred stocks. Uh, because there was some big moves in some of those, and that's why I wasn't. Uh, that's why I wasn't, you know, concentrating as much on on the, on the stocks themselves, the common stocks. Uh, but I did notice okay. Visa at the end last minute. So if anybody else had some other ones that moved significantly, let me know. Uh, but Visa definitely was a mover. But I know I didn't notice Joel. Okay. All right. Well, we're up here anyways, up five and a half handles. Really big area. Just talking general market here. Thursday's high. Right up there, 29.95, your current high, 94.50. If you want to round things off, call 3,000. But uh, that, that sell-off on Friday was definitely a little bit of a head fake. Uh, market made that Friday low and uh, rebounded nicely. So see what happened here in the next couple of days. Still basically, though, in a trading range here, hovering near all-time highs. Uh, AT624 just asking, where do you see the sell imbalances? Ask your broker. It depends. These are imbalances are disseminated from the floor. I know Interactive Brokers has them. Um, so you can just you can just call up Interactive Brokers, say, how do I see the imbalance feed? And you will see that information. Some of your retail platforms have it. Some of them don't. You can always go. I'm, here's a free advertise for Rosenblatt. Again, if you don't have it, it's 100 bucks a month. And Rosenblatt can provide that for you as well. Justin Shack, great guy over there. He will hook you up because uh, they have a retail product as well. But um, let's move back over to the stocks. We got McDonald's getting hit here this morning. It looks like JP Morgan with some commentary here that is knocking the stock down to two and a half bucks. It's trading at 211 right now, was closing at 214.71. So MCD getting whacked. Is there anything else that's on McDonald's? That's just the JP Morgan commentary. Well, no, they know that we haven't, we have yet to get there for the Beyond Meat uh, burger. But we haven't gotten. Oh, so that's, that's what's happened here. Is that we haven't uh, no, been there for um, the Beyond Meat Burger. JP yet. Morgan is saying, in all seriousness, JP Morgan is saying that they they predict McDonald's uh, third quarter com sales are going to be below the consensus. And that's the and that's why McDonald's is trading down because I've had multiple questions from traders here today. What's going on with McDonald's? It is JP Morgan commentary that is hitting it down. I mean, McDonald's. This is a tough chart now. If you look out at you know the weeklies and or even at the monthlies, I mean, we put in a hard top at two twenty. You know, multiple times we tried to break out August, September, one, two, three, four, call it, you know, a half dozen times we tried to break out through the 220, we could not. And then you get the ugly candle back on September the 10th. And what often happens, we talk about this with 50% in fibs, you know, me and Joel are, you know, support resistance guys, but we love the 50%. And you see a move and the move down, obviously, and we're talking from the couple of days from the 9th and the 10th. And then you see a little bit of life come back into it, maybe retrace to around the 50%. And if you're around 220 to 210, come back to 215. You know, we're, we're doing some funky rounding there because I know right. the move was down to 207, but just eyeballing it on the chart, 220, 210, 215. That's right where it stalled out. Now you look like you might get a resumption of the previous trend. So I'd be nervous buying in here this morning because if you think you had 10 point fall before, technical analysis says this could fall back down to the 205 area. Yeah, and uh, if you want to figure a, another retracement, you had uh, basically a nine-point move off that low, four and a half. That takes you in the 211 and a half area. You see, I see a daily low at 211, another one at 211 and a half. Uh, that's an important area to hold because if it doesn't hold that, 
Then you drop into the two oh lower two oh nine handle where you had a pair of lows. So hold the two eleven uh, is important here for Mickey D's. And uh, have you heard anything about uh, the the uh, PLT? Did you have uh, any buddies? <laughs> No, I have not. Um, and I, it is on the bucket list here, so maybe I'll hit one today or something. Um, I got to go over there and try it. Or you guys no, got to no. make a road wait, trip. Wait, try wait it. for us. Wait for us. And we'll All right, it. I'm waiting. All right. I'm not that excited. I've tried the A&W Beyond Meat Burger, so and it wasn't anything. Like I said, my boy tried the Beyond Meat Burger, and he wouldn't eat it at all. It's the four-year-old test. It did not pass. So uh, I'm, I'm not overly impressed by the taste. I do notice a difference. Everybody says, oh, yeah, it tastes like a hamburger. And other buddies say, oh, it tastes like a crappy hamburger. But it tastes like a hamburger. So it's impressive that you've taken a plant-based food and made it kind of taste like a hamburger. But I'm not overly excited to go to McDonald's. Try and uh, so far, we really had fun on the show that day uh, that that news came out and uh, came out beyond skeptical, beyond meat here. And it hasn't even sniffed that high from that day. Right. Remember that high pre-market was like one. We were right on that. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I said if I had it, and if I could, I said even if I could get a locate, I would probably be shorting it, but I couldn't get a locate. It was 163 when we talked about that. Three days later, it's 148. So, you know, we get some right, we get some wrong. So far, we've got this one right. We're 15 points in the money on the paper trade. Hopefully, whoever had it maybe sold on, you know, what 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 we thought, but you know, it's, it's obviously we're going to be right and wrong sometimes. So, and according on. according to uh, S3 partners, they track short uh, data. Uh, short selling data. Not only is Beyond Meat the most expensive stock to short, it is the most expensive stock to short by like a hundred percent. It is like double. I can't uh, even. Well, yeah. If I if I really looked hard, I haven't looked very hard, but I can't get a locate within my brokerage system. So I would have to go well, even out if to a could. locate broker and pay those you know, those those crazy fees. So when I say a lot of times I say I can't get a locate, it means I can't easily find it in either of my two brokerage systems. And they, and they, you know, you go to your own lending desk. So that means I would have to go outside my lending desk to get a locate. And that gets very expensive in a hurry. So typically I've got enough ideas. I don't typically go outside my lending broker unless I really, really want to short a stock. But like you said, you know, what, what is the fees on that to short that? 200% a year, maybe? Be crazy. Not, no, well, it's not quite that high. It's 100. Do you have it? Yeah, it was, uh, it's 100 what is it now? Hundred and I saw it. I, I just saw it yesterday. It was like one hundred and forty percent or something. So one hundred and forty percent a year. So to put that in perspective, if uh, you short beyond me, and it doesn't go to zero in the next ten months, you lose. Even if it's you know, even if it stays flat, you'll you you know that's how much you're paying. So you need it to go to zero to break even in the next ten months. That's how crazy that fee is when you're paying one hundred and forty percent. So you just add it up and, you know, you can stay, you know, it can day trade these things because the fees aren't that crazy from a day trading perspective. But you're just putting this thing on and shorting it and you're paying 140% a year. You need this trade to work out quickly because those fees add up. And if it doesn't go to zero within 10 months, that's your break even is zero in 10 months. So you need it to go to zero faster than that. What some, uh, who do we have on that made a good point on this when you look at this? And this is why I would not want to be long this stock for another reason. Uh, it was Ian Weiner. Remember when he was on the show and he made a good point and I'd completely agree with this. He's like, typically when you see these stocks with these crazy, you know, borrow rates and in these highs, typically those shorts are right, but it's the timing that they might have wrong. So, you know, that's why I keep saying, I think Beyond Meat is much lower in the next six months. It's, it's a ridiculous price really for a, a, a burger, like a veggie burger. So, um, you know, I'm definitely not going to be putting my investment dollars in this. I've said multiple times, I think it's under a hundred bucks, but you know, it's hard. It's hard to make money on the short side when you're paying 140% a year to short the stock. 
All right, let's cover, uh, let's get caught up on uh, some chat uh, stocks here out of the uh, YouTube chat. And, yeah, let's do it. Uh, when's the last time you looked at Alta? I have a position on it right now. So I can't, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to limit my commentary because I do have a position on it right now. So it, when was the last time I looked at it? Very recently, Joel. I have a day trading overnight position in Alta. Okay. I, well, I so hope I'll limit my commentary. I hope it's long. But I'm, no commentary. Nice update yesterday. Uh, this one just put in a bottom, and it was just a lazy bottom. I remember talking on the show about 224, and it came down there. It came into the 224 handle, 224.66. I remember that was monthly, and it gave you forever in a day to buy it in that area. Nice day yesterday trading up in the pre-market. I think what's important here is now uh, once you get above 254.50, then you're just in no man's land. You got the 51.76 yesterday. We're trading right there right now. Sure, a lot of people, that gap down day, you had the target of, uh, you know, you started buying them. You're like, hey, if it ever gets back there, I'm out. So that's a big level. And then you get in the air here. And uh, so I would not want to be short this thing here, especially if you got above that gap area, trading up just a tad in the pre-market. But uh, I will just I say, and I'll, I was not giving an opinion because I have a, a position. I would say it's been big insider buying lately. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. And uh, that's, I think, when the catalyst for the run. And also, I told you that uh, when I went to the football game with Rob and Matt, uh, Matt uh, works in that industry, and they're coming to Canada. Alta's coming to Canada. So they are still growing. So uh, nice look at chart, though. Stop I like going down. It stopped going down. Uh, people like to ask about Rite Aid. We don't like to talk about it because it's just a crazy, you know, reverse. I mean, they do the reverse split, and eventually it's probably going back to a buck. So, yeah. But I'll uh, tell you, uh, if you're trying to buy this thing, you better just keep an eye on the 670 area. Uh, you had a pair of lows going back there on the 18th and 19th, and you had that wild day. So under 670, don't like it at all. Currently trading at 702. Also in the chat here, Lennar. Well, I haven't talked about, they, they've already reported, right? These home builders. No, Lennar is due to report on Wednesday. Wednesday, really? Yeah, so Lennar is set up well for the pre-earnings run here, in my opinion. No position on it, so I can freely talk about it. But Ali, and if you look here, that's a nice candle yesterday. And if you're trading those pre-earnings runs here, you'd have made some money with this one. It looks like um, it looks like it could go here again. Now, obviously, after the earnings reports, anything can happen. But if you look at what happened, was it KB Homes, the one that was way down and then went back up? I yeah. believe it was the one that I had the good trade on after yep. hours. Yep. Yeah, I bought KB Homes after hours at thirty dollars and seventy cents three days ago. You won't see that on chart because it doesn't chart after hours. But that stock was way down, ended up closing way up. So these things have a bit underneath them, even if they disappoint. I feel like because interest rates. I mean, the environment can't get better. Interest rates are low. They're low for the foreseeable future. I mean, the world's talking about negative rates. How do you get better for home builders? I mean, that's like, you know, ground zero for, you know, on the good side for, um, you know, the home builders and obviously and, you know, with lower rates. So I think all these home builders are benefiting from the interest rate trade. And yeah. I don't think interest rates are going up anytime soon. So I kind of like these trades from the long side. Uh, boy, oh boy, there's a, there's a pesky seller here, and I wish I could say, hey, Dennis, look at the size at 56, but he's not doing it that way. He's like pulling the orders. He's letting it get above 56 on a couple days, and then it's under 56, but your last one, two, three, four, five, six highs right around that $56 area, so they got a, 
they got to finish mopping up that cellar, that whole general area, just kind of, just kind of pesky here ahead of the report. But uh, I wish it was at like 56, 56, 56, then you know exactly where the order is. But uh, the way this seller's doing it a little craftier than your, uh, your visa seller, he's spraying the orders from 55.90 up to uh, actual highest high is 56.14. It closed fairly strong though. That's why I think it could take out the highest here today. One yep. thing, you know, good point is TLT has an impact here. And if you look at the TLT, we are getting rocked on the TLT here this morning. So it's a good segue over to obviously that's going to be good for your banks here this morning. Maybe not so good for your stocks that, you know, obviously are the interest rate sensitive or not so interest rate sensitive, but yeah, interest rate sensitive. Um, so you're looking at utilities this morning here, very weak off the TLT um, and just going through there. So that's the segue I was wanting to take anyways, because Bank America trading up here at 1% in the pre-market, JP Morgan up 0.73%. You're going to see a nice lift in the financials here again this morning with the TLT that week. Yeah, Bank America has backed off, had a pesky seller at 30. Real good support in this one if you get a chance to come down to uh, – just under 29. So 29 to 30 is basically been your range. We have actually haven't traded in the 30 handle uh, since the 20th, but uh, nice trading range there. Lower 29 handle up to 30. Uh, S&P's hanging in there up six and a quarter, 29.84.75. And uh, what else do we got going? Uh, crude, crude's in the green here. Yeah, crude bouncing back. Just funny though, Joel, like this Ouch. crude rally, which we were totally fading. Here you are two weeks later, completely gave it all back. And now you're actually trying to make new lows. And if you look at all the dog oil stocks that everybody, and we said, if I, I said, if I had any oil stocks, I'd be selling into this like crazy that day. And uh, I wish I would have been, I didn't have the guts to short them, which I would have because, you know, short interest on these things high. I mean, Halliburton got up to 22.50. Here it is a week and a half later, right back down near the lows. You can look at Apache. It's kind of held on a little bit better there. Slumberger, same story. Got up to $40, down to 34 bucks. So these things have all just completely gave back the gains. Once, you know, when a sector is in, you know, been in a rough patch for a long time. When you get a wicked overnight rally of like 13 or 15% that oil was up, there is profit takers and there's people trying to scramble to get their money back. Sellers all over the place. That is the definition of overhead supply. And it worked very, very well if you were playing it from the sell side on that day that we had uh, Saudi. What about Dennis, when stocks uh, get a pop off a potential takeout and then things kind of fade away and then the stock comes down to the point of origin? I like that because, usually. Yeah. Well, but, you have an example? Yeah, crude. Well, that wasn't a potential takeout, though. Well, it wasn't a potential takeout. You no, the reason, because that's a fundies trade, though. Like, I like it when you, get a, when you get a stock that has rumors of a potential takeout. And then there people forget about the rumors and a couple of weeks later it comes back down to where it was before the rumors. Okay. And if there's still a rumor kicking around there, it's kind of like, you know, a wild card for me, like a little lottery ticket that, Hey, maybe these rumors will materialize. I've made a lot of money over the years playing them that way. Obviously there's no rumors on crude here. I mean, we know what happened. Right. So right. it's coming back down from the point of origination. Would you have people who are maybe short and now it's come back down there and they're saying, okay, I'm going to cover here now because you know i saw what happened to me and i was really under a lot of you know obviously but it came down so fast i don't even know if the shorts really panicked as much as we thought they would a few did that day or wouldn't have been up that much but the ones that held through that original mess are probably still holding 
Yep, just uh, just put moron in moron. Uh, quick uh, quick question here on Slack as we're turning the corner here. Horrible IPO. Yeah, at least you have a level to lean on now. Uh, that low from stop going down. Yeah, twenty one twenty six. So if you're so inclined to, you know, risk a two and a half points here, you have your exit point. Uh, if you want to like figure a great, if you really think a bottom's in. You what dropped uh, 21 points, 10 and a half. I mean, could you work your way back up into 30 and a half, 31 area? Sure, sure you could. A lot of people were caught. Uh, look at your daily highs though before it gets there. Uh, 24.41, you can use that as a target. That was your high just actually in yesterday's session. So you close below that. And um, actually that's a really good number. That's the number of the day in Slack. 2441, your September 30th high, exact match on the 24th at 2441. So there you go. Then you got some room after that. So 2441, great number in work. Slack. Some stocks, I mean, that's it. You know, once you get a nice candle, then you have a tradable bottom. So I agree with Joel here. You know, maybe you can play it. I still think work's going a lot lower. The trend is still clearly down. So I'm more of a fan of selling the pop as opposed to buying a dip. But if you've been looking to get in it, I mean, you know where you're out is. It starts cutting through the low at 2125. I always say when stocks make new lows, you got to go. But you have a tradable bottom. So if you're buying in the 23 handle, my out would be 2125 if it started to make new lows. All right. And uh, we also had uh, Activision. Do they have a uh, new, new game out here? I don't know, but my stock's been leaking again here. It's Activision just oh, can't um, seem to get life. Uh, Call of Duty is coming out. I don't know if it's out the end the the uh the today or the end of the month but it's out sometime in october ah uh, boom boom better hold 52 That's my all. buddy makes the rings for that eh yep they yep. have championship rings for call of duty as well championship rings for everything for the video gamers my buddy's the one that makes the call of duty championship rings and you're showing them to me yep uh 52 oh it's 52 better hold on that one and uh dennis your virtue JD. been awful yeah. And this, you know what I think this is? 25th. I think this is Elizabeth Warren. A lot of this. I know there was some commentary from an analyst of knocking it down, but I think this thing's in a right downtrend with Virtue Financial because Elizabeth Warren, if she gets in and she's really picked it up in the polls, not saying she's going to, but if she gets in, she wants to put that financial transaction tax in. That would just, you know, murder Virtue Financial. So I think there's a little bit of fear there that, hey, if a financial transaction tax ever got approved, Virtue Financial would be in a lot of trouble. So, I mean, maybe they can get some exemptions as a market maker, but um, obviously my own business is going to be in a lot of trouble and all your guys trading business is going to be in a lot of trouble if a financial transaction tax gets approved because they're talking, you know, about, I forget what the proposal was, but, you know, if, even if it's like, say, 0.1%. I mean, my edges on my, a lot of my trades are 0.1%. Just think about how expensive that would be, a 0.1 in, 0.1 out. So it's 0.2% for you to break even on something. So when you're trading a $100 stock, all of a sudden you've got to make 20 cents on that to break even. I mean, it's like taking brokerage commissions back to the 80s. So it's going to just kill trading. All your online brokers, what have they been doing? Have they been getting hit too? Not as bad. So maybe it's maybe it's not a trade because interactive brokers held it pretty well. But all your online retail brokers would get hurt on that too. I mean, I, there's a I, lot I, of concern yeah. here well, with this financial transaction tax. Obviously, we're a long ways away from there. We're still a year and a half away from, or over a year away from even knowing who the next president's going to be. And then, you know, I don't know if they would ever get that approved. But think about it with your voting guys, you traders out there, because if 
um, you know, financial transaction tax gets approved, it's going to be the end of your trading business. I, I think you can sleep well knowing that any, any new regulation that could potentially come down the pipeline would be watered down and, and not. Like we already have a transaction, Eric Hunsader, who I've had on the show in a while, I know he's been really busy doing a lot of different stuff and he runs like crazy over there, but you know, he makes a good point. He's like, we already have a financial transaction tax. We do to a certain extent on the sell side because you have SEC fees, which are very, very small on every sale that you make. So, and that's how the SEC obviously that pays their bills is those little small little, but that's such a small fraction of a percent that it's not a big deal. I mean, when you start talking 0.1, 0.2% or like some people were originally proposing 1%, could you imagine that's taking it totally back to the 80s that you have to pay 1% in and 1% out? I mean, financial transaction tax just, just kill liquidity, kill the market. I could go on the whole show selling all the negatives about financial transaction tax, you know, and I'm, obviously people are going to say, oh, it's trader talking his book, so he doesn't want to lose his job. But you know what? Maybe some trading jobs would still be there. The spreads would widen so much. Uh, because you can't have market makers making, you know, a one cent market when their break even is 20 cents or 30 cents or on spy, right. it would be like 50 cents. So anyways, that's my rant here. And obviously we would hope that would be watered down and not a, a 0.3% or 0.4%. I would hope it would be like 0.00001% if they ever put a financial transaction tax. So it wouldn't impact liquidity. And there would be exceptions depending on... Yeah, the exemptions are going to go to the citadels of the world and the big dogs who have the power to get those exemptions. It's not going to go okay. to me and you, Spencer. Okay, okay, fine. I make <laughs> you feel better here. Yeah, oh, I know. I'm worried about it uh, because you have Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren both have it in their platforms here now. At least that's, they're in the commentary. Um, and I'm, I'm actually somewhat worried about it. So anyways, well, it's not a political show, but just remember with your voting, if you're traders that they're trying to put you out of business. All right, let's talk U.S. still here. Uh, they are spending some money this morning, spending $700 million wow. to acquire a 49.9% stake in Big River Steel. Is that private? Yes. They just, this stock cannot get any life going. And I don't see any reason to be long the stock. Every time it rallies, it's just another selling opportunity. I mean, this trend is just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Like, look at this trend for the last two years, Joel. Take your Jeff Mackey. Hey, Jeff, if you're listening, take your Jeff Mackey purple crayon and draw that line. It is perfect. Keep being short until that line gets broken. I mean, and I'm looking out, and if you go out to the week, I'm looking out to the monthlies from 2018 to 2019, because on that chart, you won't see it. You're going out a little bit too far. So I'm looking at the top of the 2018. You see what I'm looking at. Top of the yeah, 2018 oh, yeah. was $45 all the way down. Look how pretty that trend is. Trend is your friend. Stay short if you're short. Don't get long until that trend breaks. That's my opinion on U.S. Steel. Wow. Big River Steel. This is out of Arkansas here. I, I don't know. I mean, that's a huge investment. Have they ever made an investment of that size before? How much is the money? $700 million. Well, it's seven hundred million is a big investment, but what's the market cap on? Well, U.S. Steel market cap has fallen so far; it's probably yeah. insignificant now. It wasn't significant; it was forty-five dollars a share. But the U.S. Steel market cap, we we'll just quickly go because this is how we usually price this stuff. Is still well, it's only one point nine seven billion, so that's why they're knocking it down. They do not like paying a premium for anything here right now. Obviously, they're probably paying a premium for that, and that is why you are seeing U.S. Steel down six point seven five percent here this morning. That being said. 10 bucks has been the line in the sand. Yeah. 10, 16, 10, 17. Maybe we go back down there and try it again. I usually say third time's a charm. If it comes back down the third time, it usually takes it out. But there is some support below, at least the 10 bucks. But this trend is still ugly. 
with a capital U. Oh, so you've had about a buck and a half move. So 75 cents on that low would take you like right where we're trading now, like 1075, 1080. So if the bulls are going to come to the rescue here, I'm looking at a low at 1065. Uh, that was uh, on September 25th, not too long ago. Your pre-market low stands at 1067. So I don't know. Better place maybe to cover short than to try long here. But I'll tell you right now, if this thing opens up like 1070, 1075, and you don't see it trading at like 1040, 1045 in, in a heartbeat, I don't know if I want to be short this one. It could, it could get a pop here. But overall, it's got some support low. Yeah, it does. It it's does. hard. You know, the stock's been straight down. So I don't know if I'm coming in here and shorting it either, Joel. But at the same time, every time you've been buying, you know, the stock, I mean, some of the dips have worked in the last month and a half, but it's been a tough stock to play from the long side. There's not a lot of longs that have made money in U.S. steel. No, not at all. And uh, what's it doing? Is it doing anything else to the other steel stocks here? I think this is specific to them. So yeah. anyways, trading flat here. AK Steel is trading flat, offered flat. So STLD, which is another big one, just nothing going on. So this is pretty specific to U.S. steel. Huh? All right. Well, keep an eye, keep an eye on that pre-market low. So continuing on our merry parade here, let's go to a few of these ratings here, Spencer. There was some interesting ones here this morning. Um, uh, where do you want to go? Mm, let's start with Spotify. Getting an upgrade this morning uh, to inline from uh, underperform at Evercore ISI. Been a long time since I looked at the Spotify chart. I look at the yeah. Shopify chart, everyone. Don't look at the Spotify chart that much. Trend has not been your friend here. It's getting an upgrade, but again, you're trying to fight this awful downtrend when everybody and their grandma is caught long. So I don't know. 120, I would think, is going to be resistive here. We're at 116, so there might be room up to 120, but I'm not getting on the bull train here with that ugly downtrend. Man, they just walked this thing down in September. I mean, almost every day it was down in September. I do see some green candles, but uh, I know it steep trend line coming down. It's the same thing. Yeah. They've been selling high PE stocks or stocks yeah. that don't make money and buying value stocks. This is a victim of that trade. Uh, let's see if we can even get to your two-day high on this one, uh, 117.23. Or actually, that was, that was a high from yesterday. So there's a couple targets for you. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It was Friday's high. Yesterday's high, we're trading above 1567, uh, but keep an eye on 1723. Could easily take that out. And then there's a pair of highs right at 119.2. So we'll see. I mean, it's, you know, if you're trying it from the long side, you have it identifiable out here with the low of the move. That low of the move came on Friday at 111.30. We've got a key bank note on some semis this morning. They are upgrading ADI. MCHP and NXPI to overweight, and they're downgrading Xilinx XLNX to sector weight. Paratraders over there. Let's yep. go Xilinx first. This was downgraded one there. This is a stock that has been in a clear downtrend here too. Taking out, trying to take out the low of the move. We're right there right now, 94.10, 94.39. That's an ugly chart. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to try to pick the bottom on that one because that chart is not looking pretty. What are your thoughts? XL. Oats 94, X. you know, maybe there's a, you know, maybe a little downgraded here. Yeah. Maybe a bounce. I don't know, but I 
I'm more inclined to short that thing than buy it. 94.39. Now, that was your former low of the move, trading here at 94.10. So, once again, if you're, you know, if you're trading this thing, you just want to see it get into the 93 handle and do some work here. If it swings back up and 94.39 might be a little bit of a buy the dip opportunity here. But, uh, and then NXPI, that stock, let's take a look. Um, it's back up there, 110.83, uh, 171. I remember. It's so, on the comeback trail. It is. Bit of a value play, though. It's got a dividend. I think the nice. multiple. Do you know what? Do you have the multiple in front of you handy, Spencer? I feel like it's lower on NXPI. It's not something I look at. 112.06, folks. Keep an eye on 112.06. That was your September 12th high. It, it is value. Forward PE is 12.4. And not bad. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's still reasonable. a little bit of that, you know, bouncing into um, lower PE stocks. And it's a little bit lower than obviously what a lot of other stocks are out there. So. All right, 835, let's bring on our guest today, Angie Setzer. She is the vice president of the Grain for Citizens Elevator. You can find her on Twitter at Goddess of Grain. Angie, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? We are doing excellent about yourself. Oh, pretty good. Just in my temporary office, my life is never consistently <laughs> what. So. Well, uh, we've... I, I guess we should start with uh, we've been pretty focused as as we typically are here on on the equities and the futures. Uh, so give us a quick rundown of what the uh, how the macro uh, global macro headlines have shaped uh, commodities in the past few months or so. <laughs> well, uh, China, 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 and some more China has really been obviously the the focus on on grains and commodities as a whole here. the The biggest thing that we've been waiting for is to see, you know, what is going to happen with the trade discussions, obviously, but also in the midst of all of that, we have basically what would be a historical monumental uh, disease um, kind of raging its way through uh, pogs in China with that African swine fever. So um, there's a lot of questions on, you know, how much of this is, is trade you know, we have seen obviously a significant reduction in um, Chinese imports, uh, soybean imports and things of that nature. And so the question is how much of that is trade and how much of that is the, the ASF? And what does this mean going forward with ASF? Obviously, a, a significant portion of the hog herd has been um, killed or wiped out by this disease. And, and you know, the line that everyone kind of keeps parroting is uh, dead hogs don't eat. So obviously that impacts soybean, soybean meal, all of those imports. But we are still seeing a pretty active structure. We're actually looking at China um, really upping their imports here. We've seen some goodwill gestures is what they said, um, which goodwill or do they need them has been the million dollar question. There was a lot of conversation before the, the whole goodwill thing started that we would need uh, China would need to import as much as 10 million metric ton um, from the U.S. in order to kind of get by until the Brazilian harvest um, were to, to take place. So um, that's not until next spring. So we'll see what that looks like. Brazil's been dealing with a lot of really dry uh, conditions as well during what should be their planting season. So a lot of moving parts, but the, the biggest impact in the, the global macro conversation, obviously, has been the, the Chinese discussion. Um, so I know uh, I'm looking at the live hog chart here, LH, and that has gotten a little bump here. And this, wow, this is like some uh, some major resistance here at the $75 yeah. area. Now, 
now I they took pork bellies off the board here, but now I'm seeing a chart here. I'm, uh, yeah. uh, so what what's going on? I do add PB and I see a contract, but I'm not really so, seeing any volume here. What what because that. The pork bellies used to be one of the wildest. When I was back on the floor at the Merck, that was one of the wildest contracts. Yeah. With the most volatility. And actually, I, I knew the guy. Did you ever hear the name George Siegel? Uh, big pork I've heard belly. of it, yeah. Yeah. Yep. He, was, he was the master of the pork bellies. But is that contract still alive? Or what, what's going on with that? Yeah, I believe it's new. I, I don't spend too much time over on the pork side of things because if you look at the chart closely, you'll see why. Um you know, that we joke that the, the July, November soybean spread is the widow maker. I think the entire hog market structure is, is more capable of being the widow maker than anything. So as far as I know, I believe that they had reintroduced the pork belly um, trade, but I think, you know, I really think the human aspect of it really impacted the pork bellies more than, you know, today's trade's very different than when you than when you saw the pork belly before and, and it was one of those investments that kind of came from had that human factor in it and so I, I think with it being new um, you know you'll see it but I don't know if you really see the volume in it that we've grown accustomed to. All right we're on with Angie Setzer uh, from Citizens Grains Elevator better known as the goddess of grain on Twitter. Let's just rip through a couple of these uh, grains here and uh, corn Corn showed a real nice day yesterday. Uh, what happened in August there? Was that is that China stuff when we went basically from 416 to 370 in a couple days? Was that all China stuff? No, no, no. no. Uh, that was uh, we had kind of built up this expectation that we were going to see a significant reduction in production. We'd had the slowest planting pace on record. A lot of real big concern over what that would mean for production. We thought acreage would be down significantly from expectations. A lot of traders went into the August report telling farmers that we should see production sub 13 billion bushel or analysts, not necessarily traders. Traders aren't going to tell farmers really much of anything, but uh, we had this conversation that production should be much lower than uh, what we had seen in the July report, the USDA came out and said, no, maybe a little bit, but not a lot. They actually had raised yields slightly, um, lowered harvested acres ever so slightly, but then in uh, lower demand as well. So we actually saw carryout go from the conversation for a while there had been carryout should be sub 1.5 billion. The USDA came out in the August report and actually said it would be over 2 billion. And that really caught some folks off guard the market liquidated, locked limit down the first day that the report came out, tried to test limit uh, the expanded limits the next day and just kind of sat there after that. So um, we've been waiting, thinking that we were going to see some sort of production reduction. But reality is at this point, we, we are seeing a crop that is going to be maybe slightly smaller than, than what we had anticipated. Yesterday, we did get some quarterly stock numbers out that indicated that old crop supplies, so what's left over from last year's harvest going into this year's harvest were smaller than expected by about 300 million bushels. So we should see some carry out cut. That's why you saw yesterday's bump higher. Finally, we kind of broke out of that trading range that we had been in since the August report. Now we're gonna see where this market wants to trade going forward. And all of that's going to really depend on what 
the harvest tells us how much is, is harvested, how much was planted for silage, um, which is not going to be harvested for grain, what the yields are gonna look like. You know, so we're just kind of getting our way into harvest here. It is looking like harvest will be delayed with the weather over the next couple, three weeks. Doesn't generally mean a lot for futures, but early harvest indications are that yields will be slightly lower. So corn could really have a pack a punch here as we, we move ahead, depending on what we find um, with overall production and what we see take place from a, a cash market standpoint, because the cash market gives us a true indication of what's happening out there supply and demand wise. So a lot of moving pieces still as, as we work our way into um, what they call the new crop year. And uh, for soybeans, nice move yesterday, uh, continuing here uh, in today's session, not, uh, not quite beans in the teens here, but uh, we are over nine buck, over nine dollars a bushel. What are you looking at here? Long-term ugly chart, is it starting to turn around? I think it's starting to turn around. We managed to close above $9 on the November board, which is the first time I think we've done that since mid-August. Same story on soybeans there. And it, we just had a lot of pressure. I think everyone's been so negative soybeans for so long, they don't understand that we could see a, a bullish transition in this market if, in fact, we were to see some sort of agreement come into play temporary or long-term with China. If we were to see the South American production season um, maintain this dryness that we're, we're seeing right now, um, I'm actually bullish beans. And I don't know if there's a support group for people like me or not at this point, because it's such a common thing to hear the negative bean stories out there. But, you know, late planted corn, if, if there's enough heat and enough sun and the right amount of, of rain at certain times, which is what we've kind of seen across the bulk of the Corn Belt here this past summer, even though it was planted late, it can catch up. Soybeans are a light sensitive crop. So basically we had a whole bunch of soybeans go in that would be considered um, typically second crop uh, planting dates. So last half of June, you typically don't wanna put soybeans in after, after that. Uh, you want them planted early to try to capture the summer solstice, get as much light as possible. We didn't see that. So I think production for soybeans could come in much lower than anticipated. We did see yesterday that the, uh, USDA also had lowered uh, ending stocks for old crop, not as much as, as what we had seen in corn, but still much lower. You know, the potential is for us to go from what was a, a potential 1 billion bushel carryout, which is about 10 times what we would like to see as a, as a tight carryout. We, we had a billion bushel projected for the 17-18 crop year. You know, we could cut that in half for 18, 19, maybe even less if we were to see China step in and start really importing some more beans than anticipated. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch. And going back to that ASF conversation too, that African swine fever, one of the things that we really need to pay attention to in soybeans is once the Chinese are able to kind of get their arms around this disease, right now what you're seeing is massive amounts of investments taking place to modernize the Chinese hog production that you've seen. So in the past, a lot of China's hog production has been backyard herds, very small amounts of, of hogs um, for each farmer. Now you're seeing these businesses come in and, and try to build these multi-level um, hog setups and things of that nature. I mean, you could really see a modernization of the Chinese hog herd that no one had anticipated in the next decade. To me, that's long-term bullish soybeans. But the million dollar question is obviously when do they get their arms around the spread of this disease and start really repopulating their hog herd? 
All right. Uh, real quickly, uh, out of the chat, um, we were asked um, if uh, if these grains, if they respect technicals, or is it just all fundamentals here? Anne-Marie Band joined us in her chat. She says she likes the charts of some of these grains. Mm -hmm. Obviously, fundamentals are the long term, but uh, tell us, uh, you know, technical analysis. Does it work pretty well in the grain market? Very much. I mean, you you definitely want to pay attention. Technicals are, are our everyday, our, our range established, everything like that. The technical, the market will respect technicals on, on the day-to-day -day basis. Now, occasionally you'll get a headline out like yesterday. You know, if you look back at the corn chart there, you know, take the, a look at the front month, the SEP got down below 350 for a while, kind of come back up towards 360 or so. You know, you would think that the DEES would maybe establish that, but getting that updated fundamental information that we had yesterday will change our range that we'll trade, um, but we will establish a range. And, and really, um, yeah, technicals have come, um, they've become even more powerful, I would say, over the last several years with the change, with that removal of the human, going back to the pork belly conversation, you know, you used to have a lot more of a fundamental influence on grains when you had the pit interaction. And now you basically don't really have that pit interaction unless you're looking at options. And so the technicals are even more heavily traded as, as that's really what the, the Do volume- they still have the pits? Do they, they, they get rid of, is it all electronic now? Do they still have the pits? For that's the a driving range, I think. An indoor driving range, I think the CDOT is right now. They still have on the other side, you know, where um, the, the treasuries and things like that were traded. I think that's where they moved the option. Okay. options pits but yeah i think uh the last time i saw a picture is it was some sort of it was really sad um but when i was there would have been five years ago um for the release of the report you could literally stand in the wheat pit and watch the usda numbers come out because there was no, no the way. only active trade that you saw is was in corn <laughs> before i let you go here and i yeah. know um I know you mentioned it before, and Mee Schneider was on a couple weeks ago or a month ago, and she mentioned the DBA, and I looked at the chart, and I picked a little bit up just for a small trade, and I don't know why I ever let it go looking at the, the chart here, but uh, for people that are you know trying to be optimistic about this trade war here, I mean, that the DBA, that agriculture, that's a that's a nice move here. That's a nice percentage move. Is this just a, a head fake and a long-term downtrend here? Or do you think uh, this farmland ETF uh, is, uh, has changed in trend? I, you know, honestly, I, I do think it could change trend to a, a certain amount. I would really look at the, the long-term range that, that you've seen established. So yeah, we have really kind of bottomed out and worked our way back. And I, I think the reality is we're not making more land. Nope. I mean, that's this, the case, right? Um, we haven't seen land values drop off as much as we thought they would here over the last five years or so. Uh, we keep interest rates lower. That's going to continue to kind of con push that, um, you know, desire to own farmland and, and hold on to it and, and really be able to invest in it. And, you know, honestly, as we move forward, you are seeing a pretty significant move towards consolidation when it comes to, to farmers and, and how they're owning land, how they're working together, what they're looking at doing. So I think it kind of comes into play with the modernization of, of agriculture that's taking place here in the U.S. And, and yeah, I, I definitely think that long term, this thing's probably established the low end and, and uh, um, you know, may try to, to work its way up to, to really kind of get back into that long term 
um, sort of range that you could establish there uh, looking at that chart. You mentioned the floor there, and I, well, you were just visiting. Did you spend any time on the floor as a, as a clerk or as a trader, or was you were you just? I was just visiting. Yeah, I uh, I my brokers are the ones that are on the floor for me. So okay. I, right. I, I'm more slug that's I'm stuck in the elevator, dirty, muddy, looking at trucks dumping soybeans and all that okay. fun stuff. All right, and for you that don't know, uh, Angie's married to uh, Carl Setzer, the king of corn. And they were introduced on our show by Brianna several years ago. So I'm still yeah. waiting for my watch on that. But uh, <laughs> Angie, great, great having you on again. Love to talk commodities every once in a while. And uh, I'll contact you on Twitter now because you don't seem to be reading your email a lot. So. <laughs> I am terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. You'll catch her, the goddess of grain. She's a great foul. Say hello to the king of corn and the little guy Colton there, okay? I will do that. Thanks for having me. All right. S&P futures nudging up towards the highs of the session, uh, up 10, 29, 88.50. Pre-market high, that's a big level here, 29, 94.50. That matches Thursday's high. Uh, Triple D, what are you seeing there? The, the theme is going to be the TLT. We're down over two bucks in the TLT. It's the Ooh. biggest move we've seen in the pre-market in a while. Oh, oh, so this is... On. What's going on? Well, the repo, the, the repo madness is, is, has not gone away for whatever that's worth. That's, we're now two weeks into this thing. We don't ask why, Joel. We just ask, what does it mean? And what it means is your financials are going to be very strong. Now we've got Bank America trading up over 1%. JP Morgan up almost 1%. Goldman Sachs up 1.3% here. Morgan Stanley up 1.2%. So obviously your banks are going to be very strong. Your utilities, again, are going to be very weak here this morning. Think about your REITs. They can go down on this as well. Gold is going down on this. So, you know, these correlations, these, these relationship-based trades that I talk about so much are definitely holding true, at least in the pre-market here on a lot of these, um, a lot of the stocks that I'm seeing. Well, the financials may be strong today with the one exception, and that is the uh, retail brokers, because I'm seeing a report here from Bloomberg. Uh, Schwab has done the inevitable. They have reportedly eliminated their uh, commissions for stocks, ETFs, and options on their mobile and web platforms. And it's notable wow. because, because uh, actually, coincidentally, Credit Suisse is out this morning with a note on that Holy, space. when did this happen? A few minutes ago here. But um, so they're lowering their price targets across the board. But Schwab, with the, they probably were always going to have to do this. And, they're, and they're just going to with Robinhood. And Weeble. Yeah, and, and the, exactly. And, and Weeble. Uh, yep, they, they've got to do it. And so Schwab is out this morning. This is just a report from Bloomberg, not confirmed or anything. I don't see a PR. Well, it looks like it's being confirmed in the stock. Schwab's down 8% here right now. ETFC down 10% here in the pre-market on this. So you are seeing significant moves. This is obviously giving back its entire run from August to September ETFC. You're looking at IBKR, same story, really getting weak here in the pre-market. It's down two bucks here now. Um, obviously, they think those in, those commission rates are going to go down. I mean, you think that's good for the trader. You know, the way they make money, we've talked about this before, is payment for order flow. So they sell the orders. They're selling the orders to market makers, and that's where the business model has really moved to. Um, it, it's been moving to that for years where you know they make more money selling the orders than they do off the commissions in some cases. So if they can get more flow there, they can sell the orders to off-exchange market makers, meaning selling your orders. So your orders do not go to the exchange anymore. They typically go to an off-exchange market maker that pay for the privilege of trading against you because they think you're more uninformed. That's what's happening. I mean, it's, it's, it, I think it's objectively good for retail traders to not have- It to is. 
But at the same time, their orders do not, sometimes you can see some of these fills, and I've argued this before too. Is it really good? Because you're seeing liquidity less. This is why the small caps are a mess. The, you know, the mid caps don't have any liquidity at all. I mean, they've always had low liquidity, but it's getting worse. And that's because you're on exchange market makers, people who are actually trading on the exchange, have no incentive to, to post bids and offers because you have off exchange market makers and just match them. So, you know, we, we don't talk, we don't want to get all technical here in market structure in the morning here. But um, just because, you know, if free commissions, you say, oh, wow, this is fantastic. I'm telling you how they make money. They sell your orders. Well, yeah, it's not a free lunch, but it's a lunch without a fee attached to it. So, well, there is a fee attached to it because well, they're not okay. sending orders directly okay. into the market and yes. it goes over here and then Please they match it. you against. You could get, in some cases, in some of these small cap stocks, when you send your market orders, they go directly and they have the right to just match it at the offer. If you were to take that order through the exchange, you probably are going to see hidden price improvement. You're going to see different, you yes. know, you, like you get some price improvement sometimes that the off exchange market maker gives you, but you'd have competitive uh, off it. You'd have competitive, um, you'd have market makers competing. Right. More and providing in more price improvement if those orders went through the exchange. I've written papers on this. All right. Bottom so, line. You know, this is a, a very touchy subject for me. Yeah. Uh, but this is why, but bottom line is this is where the market's going. It's going to right. zero commissions. But bottom line is for years, these brokers had two revenue streams. Now they have one. That's yeah, that's what it's going down to. They have one. <laughs> so you're right. You're exactly right. They've had two and it has one. And this is not good news for E-Trade that they have to do this or a Schwab that they have to do this. Not good news for E-Trade. Not good news for interactive brokers. Not good news for any of your online brokers. And probably, you know, to consider, you know, even your big banks, you know, that have trading businesses that have retail platforms. Not that they're all retail now, but not that great news for them there either. So, you know, maybe that is something to be cautious on some of the banks because um, some of their retail platforms might have to get a little bit, you know, their full service brokerages are obviously still going to be, be paying commissions if you're using your You know what, it's just but... funny. It's uh, it's so many light years behind uh, Ernie Oldie and Oldie Discount. I don't well, know yeah, that's what they made a whole business yeah. on. This is in the that 90s. Was, yeah. this, this came, you know who, no invented payment for order flow? Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff. Yep. Thank you, Bernie Madoff. So he's brought you zero commissions, but he's also um, taken away a yep. lot of the exchanges uh, or taking yep. the orders away from the exchange. And uh, payment for order flow, uh, in my opinion, needs a lot of reform because, you know, when you have an off-exchange market maker, then you just match. So basically, you throw out a limit order to buy it. You have all these off-exchange market makers that can match your quote. They don't have to give it to you. So you could be the only person in the whole world bidding the stock. There could be 100 people selling it to you. But the off-exchange market makers intercept those and obviously can, you know, benefit from that by trading and leaning on your price. So limit order traders basically get the, you know, are, are harmed by this. And market makers, on-exchange market makers are harmed by this as well. That's why liquidity is a mess in the small caps. All right. In the big caps, you have high-frequency market makers that make up for it because there's so much, you know, comp competition there. In the small caps, it's a mess because of this. They've tried tick size pilots. They don't listen to us at Bright Trading. I've written comment letters to this CC. They don't listen to us. The, the problem is payment for order flow and off-exchange market making in the small caps. That's why I have no liquidity in there. I'm going to dig up uh, Joe Saluzzi. I'm going to get Joe on here again soon. So, uh, so yeah. And Joe's of the same opinions that we are. I mean, we've been on the same page. I mean, a lot of people are on the same opinions as we are. But there's a good argument on the other side. I mean, the benefit, this is the benefit to uh, being able to sell your orders. The benefit is that you get cheaper commissions. People want to, they don't care about the hidden fees. They don't want to see a fee. They don't care about the hidden fees. And there's hidden fees behind here. And the hidden fees go up as you obviously have more, less liquidity in the markets because when you're paying your spreads, your spreads are wider. You're going to be paying more, but people don't worry about that. They just want to see zero commissions. So that's the argument on the other side. And it's a damn good argument.
Hey, Dennis, you're getting some fans here on this market structure talk, believe it or not. You are. That's not Citadel, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think uh, Citadel, this is the Benzinga pre-market. No, you never know. There are uh, a lot of listeners out there. So, hi, Citadel. We love you guys, but we just think the payment for order flow should be more regulated. <laughs> For killing Spencer over here. <laughs> no, I'm fine. We love you though, Citadel. We do no, love I'm you fine. guys. I'm fine. Uh, our show is sponsored by Citadel. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so a couple more ratings just to get them uh, over with before we uh, wrap the show. VMware upgrade at Wells Fargo to outperform. Bank America uh, playing contrarian here this morning, upgrading Scott's Miracle Grow, which has actually held up pretty well, uh, to neutral. Philip Morris upgrade to buy and National Vision Holdings ticker EYE which has gotten cracked of late, upgraded to buy as well. So uh, three upgrades there from Bank America. VMware I mentioned, not much in the way of downgrades uh, this morning. So uh, anything else that caught your radar uh, on ratings, Dennis? Uh, no, you've got the bulk of them there, uh, the big ones. Um, just, you know, this is a day where obviously we have a lot of themes happening here. And this, you know, this is going to be the talk of the day now is this retail brokers. Um, and obviously they're now, now I'm looking at TD Ameritrade trading down. AMTD, which we didn't even mention here, it's down 13%. So it's down six bucks. All right, this is the biggest move. Look at AMTD. These BD. typically don't move this much. This is the biggest move. One of the biggest moves it's probably ever had besides an earnings report. A uh, comment from the um, uh, Charles Schwab uh, CFO here as I pull up the uh, he said that the pricing reduction is equivalent to about 90 to $100 million in quarterly revenue, which translates to 3, 3 to 4% of their total net rev. So See, Schwab is a full service. They, they're, they're in a better position because they have, you know, a, a large full service brokerage business too. Right. So they're in a better position to do this. But, you know, yeah, and, they have a robo. and they have but a you robo. think about like TD Ameritrade and, and Interactive Brokers and obviously um, E-Trade, they, you know, they, they may have some full service, but their, their big, big, big business comes from these retail commissions. So right. Schwab's the one rocking the boat and maybe they're in the best position to do this. But that's why you're seeing E-Trade down way more than Charles Schwab. That's just my initial thoughts. Obviously, I haven't dug in and, you know, I really analyzed it here. This is just breaking news in the last 20 minutes. But and we've been doing the live show. But my initial thoughts is probably Schwab's in a better position to do this. All right. Real quick here. Someone's uh, Greg Price asking about SPY. I I'm more like to follow the S&Ps, the futures. Uh, Dennis likes the SPYs, but the, the levels are all the same anyways. And uh, you're looking at that pre-market high in the S&Ps at 94.50. I'm just going to radiate. That's a huge number. Last Thursday's high was 95 even. So we're six, seven, eight points away from there. That's your resistance. We get through there, then we got some work to do above 3,000, and that would be good. If we don't hold there, maybe we pop, fall back. We haven't even tested the close yet. That close is uh, 78.50. So there's some early levels there um, in the S&Ps for you to follow. And Dennis, AT24, Dennis, do you use old direct orders or and no smart? I direct most of my orders. I can use it. We do have our own smart algos that can go and, and go through the things. Obviously, Goldman and, and Reddy have some different algos that they've developed for us as well. So we use a little bit of both. Um, but the one thing about the smart orders is they ping around looking for liquidity. Um, but if you're sending an order from you know, a typical retail platform, you know, for, you know, sometimes you can direct those, but for the most part, they're going to go to their off-exchange market, maybe their wholesaler first. 
and then they're going to look and say, do we want to take the other side of that? It kind of bounces around, you know, and that can make you miss a fill too. So there's other considerations in there as well. I like to direct orders because I don't like my order bouncing around, pinging a bunch of exchanges and tipping off a high frequency trader that, hey, somebody's going to lift your offer. I better move it. I feel like with the offers on ARCA, I lift it with ARCA. Because if I go and, you know, ping over to NSDQ or, or you know, look going to an inverted market first, you know, and, and grab that, they're going to see me coming up the pipe and they might move the order on me. So if it's offered on ARCA, I lift it with ARCA. Offered on, you know, NASDAQ, I lift it with NASDAQ. Offered on EDGE, I lift it with EDGE. I try to do it direct. So, yes, I use more direct orders than anything. Uh, real quick, Earl Crosby's asking about Cosby. Uh, ask about Boeing here. And I, all last week, I was saying this 385, 390 area meant major resistance. It's still hanging up here at 382.32. Big move from the middle of August, and it's just hanging here. So I would use, if you're really trying to hold on, you think this is blasting over 400, it's going to fill the gap, everything's fine. I'd keep an eye on 375. There was a pair of lows there from the 23rd and 24th. Give yourself some room here. But man, even on just on the monthly charts since uh, that they had that problems, this 380, 390 area, it's just been major resistance. So we'll see what happens there. So Spencer, we're back. Yeah. Three minutes over. That's I saw, okay. saw Dennis and Brent went a little bit over yesterday. Yep. So these so people it's allowed. Are, getting more it, for their money it, it's allowed if you missed any part of the, our show though you can catch our podcast anywhere podcasts or are available or just rewatch our show on menzinga's youtube channel thanks to our guest angie setzer thanks to everyone in our chats both on youtube and premarket.benzinga.com please remember all the information from our show meant to be used as informational purposes only not for investing or trading advice any questions comments concerns whatever email us we do check it premarket at benzinga.com everyone have a great rest of your day welcome to the last quarter of the decade Yippee. of the decade we'll be back with you on wednesday everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.